0: Welcome to the Hyper Voice! I'm your host, Stephen Morioka, and I am joined by Alex Underhill!
1: Alola there, Stephen.
0: Alola! And we are also joined by Leonard Kraft III!
1: Hello!
2: I don't have a fancy introduction, sorry.
1: (laughs) I mean, I use Alola every single week. I I said Alola there this time to spice it up, but you know, uh, it's, you know, you you gotta say just what comes to mind right off the top of your head, so, yeah, no worries.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're only going to be in Sun and Moon for so long, so we got to use it while we're here. <laughs> you know, we're going to we're going to switch games eventually.
1: Plus I really like it. It's a fun like saying Alola just as a hello.
0: I like the uh, in-game spreading of the hands when they do it too a lot of the mm-hmm. times.
2: Yeah, I like that as well.
0: They just wave the hands. But uh anyway, we are This is a show all about Pokémon's video game championship series VGC for short, and today we have brought on Leonard for a very specific topic talking about uh, EV spreads and efficiency and optimization and things like that. Uh, we're going to talk about the is it the attack survival calculator? Correct?
2: Yep, newly hosted on Trainer Tower.
0: Mm-hmm. We also have Trainer Tower stats covering the top Pokemon from March and April and their cut percentage from various teams and, and tournaments from those months and then we have questions to end the show with. So let's start with Eevees, and Eevees as an effort values, not Eevee the Pokemon.
1: Well, you know, you say that, but Leonard's got experience with both, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
2: um, I actually (laughs) brought Eevee to the most recent regional. So what I was planning on doing was getting on stream and then uh, making some sort of joke about Eevee training. And, like, Mm, I I I got the wrong Eevee training going in, Um, but that (laughs) didn't get to happen because I went X3. So uh, pro tip, don't bring Eevee to regionals unless you're Geo.
1: I mean, you were up there, though. I remember, like, you played against Grant, and I think Grant beat you, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Grant was and my first I, loss of the day.
1: Yeah, and I, like, was, like, t- it was tough to see two people that I'm friends with playing each other, but I was, like, secretly, like, well, as long as I don't have to play Eevee, you know, <laughs> I don't
2: think I was ready for Eevee. Yeah, uh, there were a lot of people who weren't <laughs> ready for Eevee that day, but there were some who were, and that's why I went X3.
1: Yeah. It, it's It can be a great call sometimes, but it's a very dangerous one.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's got a... Kinda... It kind of makes sense why you also weren't really streamed that tournament because even though you had the uh, and Eevee team, you had Geo there as well. So I feel <laughs> like if they're going to pick an Eevee player, they're going to go with Geo because he has the history with that team.
2: Yes. Um, I was actually very scared of playing Geo on stream because the Eevee there <laughs> is awful. Um, I, had a, I had like one plan, and if that didn't work, then I was just going to probably get bodied. <laughs> so mm-hmm, i was really mm-hmm. happy that we didn't have to play each other the mirror is very silly but yeah the evs that we're going to be talking about today are um the numbers not the cute little uh furry pokemon
1: yeah and no, a very exciting topic indeed uh, i'm sure a lot of people can learn from this me myself included there are things i still end up learning uh related to evs and i guess effort values uh is the long term for it and uh there's some things that i've learned this year uh and it's just really cool uh, how important they are for Pokemon. It's one of the things that makes our game uh, really unique, and how much uh, uh, the ability you have to tweak so much in your team. Uh, and I guess like the biggest one, although we'll probably get into that later, like it's just like speed. Uh, you can there's so much going on with that stat in general, and so I think it's uh, really cool that we're gonna be able to talk about different kinds of uh, topics related to EVs.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think that um, I think the basic point to start when discussing EVs is thinking about what they actually are in-game. Um, if you're very new to this, then you probably are hearing these EVs and thinking, I have no idea what this is. Um, if you've heard of this podcast, you probably do know what they are, however. You probably have some experience playing on Showdown, um, and you see that little option there at the end when you have your stats. You see the, um, the option. It gives you like a some sort of default, usually. That'll give you like 252 um, of something in one stat. Um, mm-hmm. The official, the official Pokemon Company um, calls them, or rather TPCI calls them base stats, um, because that's what they're officially referred to in game. But ever since like Generation Three, when the proper EV system had been put in place, um, we just usually go with the fan name, and it's stuck ever since. Um, so EVs are very technical. Um, the reason EV e- spread creation is important is because stats are important. The reason why certain Pokemon, for example, the Tapus, or maybe Pokemon like Porygon 2 um, or Metagross or any other strong Pokemon are so good is uh, partly because of their combination of abilities, moves, and um, typing, typing, but um, also because of how strong their inherent stats are. Um, So we can use our Eevees to invest in these stats to make them stronger. You can make your Pokemon faster, um, more powerful, or bulkier. And all of those have certain applications. For example, a Tapu Lele can never outspeed a Garchomp unless it's holding a um, Choice Scarf. That
1: is a max speed invested Garchomp.
2: Yes, correct. Um, So (laughs) if you are, um, for example, wanting to survive, say, the Tectonic Rage from Garchomp, um, because you could not outspeed this Garchomp to knock it out in one hit with a Moonblast prior to, then... Um, you might have to do some digging in order to figure out how exactly you could make it so your Tapu Lele can survive a Tectonic Rage. In fact Would you have to I'm dig away, to the
1: core of the earth?
2: <laughs> you might have to <laughs> dig even further than that. I'm pretty sure you actually need an Intimidate for it, um, for it to be a very reasonable spread. Um, mm-hmm. With EVs, um, you've got some limitations. You can only have 508 of them total, um, and you can only invest 252 in each stat. Now, these are, again, basic... Um, properties of EVs, but I think they're important to think about when going in because in order to distribute your EVs, um, most players just simply go with investing in two stats. They'll invest in their HP and their offensive stat, or they'll invest in their offensive stat and their speed. Um, so you'll either try to be bulky and powerful or powerful and speedy. That's That tends to be the way po- uh, trainers will EV their Pokemon. Um, This is usually a decent approach, um, and it's one that I think is very viable for a lot of Pokemon. For example, um Araquanid is a good example of a Pokemon that I think should be running something like max HP, max defense. Or sorry, max attack. Don't run max okay, defense. Okay. I was like, yeah, where are you no, going with it's like, this? What, no, what kind of plans no, do you no, have with this? No, <laughs> please, please don't do that. Um That's not a good idea. Um But I think that's important because um Araquanid is already, I think, kind of weak without its liquidation. So you need to power that up using its EVs a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting, you know, like 252 spreads. Uh, some people try to, like, once they have a bit of experience with Eevees, they try to avoid them because they're like, oh, that's too basic. But sometimes that's all you really need. Uh, you know, sometimes, like you mentioned, you need a Pokemon to just be speedy and hit as hard as possible. Um, I had a number of very simple, very basic 252 spreads on uh, my regional team or teams that are sp- spreads that I had used on other teams. And so you don't always have to be super creative with them, but, you know, when you're really, like, trying to optimize a team and make it the best it can be, that's when you want to start, you know, critiquing and looking for the specific damage calcs that you want to, like, live and, uh, and get the KOs you want to take.
2: Definitely agree with that, especially Pokemon like, um, I think you brought up, uh, one a good example from your regionals team is Tapu Koko, um, where running max speed is actually incredibly important um, because uh, the Tapu Koko mirror um, is... Something that you may necessarily, you might be able to get chip damage on the opponent's Tapu Koko, and then being able to attack first with Dazzling Gleam um, has a lot of value. Um, I think there's also reasons to run maybe modest Koko in certain situations, but mm-hmm. um, I think timid Koko is definitely a good uh, call and something that you shouldn't have to think too hard about um, when using. Um, the reason usually you want to create uh, more custom EV spreads to deviate from 252, 252 is when you have a Pokemon. That has a lot of bulk on it. Um, a really good example of that I can think of this is Snorlax. So Snorlax is a Pokemon that uses either like Belly Drum or Curse. Um, those are two moves that you see commonly on Snorlax to boost its attacking power. You don't necessarily need to invest all your your 252 EVs into attack if you want to hit the necessary, say, um, two it KOs or three it KOs you want to hit with your attacks. Um, for example, I know that some players, if I remember right, they want to... Some of them are comfortable with knocking out Tapu Koko after one round of Life Orb recoil. Um, some players opt to run a lot less than that. Um, I know, for example, on my Snorlax, I usually invest just enough to get the two-hit knockout on Araquanid. Um, some players run even less than that um, because their logic is, um, if I can get up my Curses or my Belly Drums, um, that it doesn't really matter... Um, how much attack I have, because I'm going to get all this attack anyway. So I'd rather have my EVs invested in defenses. Um, that way I can tank hits better. Um, this is going to be especially important for Snorlax in end games where you need to be recycling a lot on a curse set and um, be able to heal up with your uh, 50% berry.
1: Yeah, that's why EV spreads are definitely like very tailored to the team. You know, you're not gonna, you're not always gonna be able to just copy and paste an EV spread from one team to another, especially if you are using Pokemon for different sets like Belly Drum or Curse. They do very different things. Uh, whereas if your Snorlax is getting up to plus six in one turn, you might not need so much attack because you are getting so much offense. But if your Snorlax needs to pick up KOs at plus one or plus two, then you might need to invest a little bit more into attack if that's your uh, game plan. So if you're planning on doing things in different ways, uh, you want to like look into what are the goals of the Eevee spread, and how is it going to be playing exactly on this team?
2: Exactly. Additionally, I think um, playing uh, with your EV spread in the context of a metagame is very important. Um, for example, um, Snorlax is a lot more popular than it was at the start of the season. I think that um, considering Snorlax when EVing your Pokemon um, has a lot more value now than it would have back then. Um, in a similar way, uh, Tapu Bulu is now nowhere near as popular as it was back then. EVing your Pokemon to survive a Woodhammer might not, as a result, have as much value. Um, So I think that, like you said, EVing in the context of a team and in the context of a metagame is what makes a spread especially effective. Um, There are definitely traits that you can take from, like ideas that you can take from different spreads to carry on um, to a second spread. However, um, I do think what you're saying is incredibly important. EV spreads should be tailored to an individual's team. The way you find those out, because um, it's usually very easy to just um, take another person's spread or take a spread from the Trainer Tower Archive or um, from a popular report and just use that spread. And in fact, I usually suggest doing that to start off with um, so you get a feel for the spread maybe. Um, Maybe if you like it, you can just tweak it a little bit and then you don't have to do all that much work. You don't have to start from scratch. But generally speaking, I think that... Um, learning how to create your own spreads from scratch is a useful skill um, because these top players that you're getting these spreads from in the first place had to come up with them somehow.
1: Yeah, and understanding that level of thinking uh, will help you understand, you know, how to build teams on your own and spreads specifically on your own. Uh, All these things that you've mentioned, uh, I was victim to uh, for my regionals team, whether it was stealing a spread from a popular report. That's what I ended up doing with my Arcanine. Uh, I just looked on Trainer Tower and took Ricardo's because I was like, I just want an Arcanine and I want to play some games now. Uh, and then same thing with the Assault Vest one was from Trainer Tower. Celestela was uh, just from a friend, and then the Tapu Koko and Togedemaru was just two fifty-two spreads. So there, I've been a victim of a lot of these things, and I could definitely use a bit more EV optimization.
0: Yeah, I think the greatest thing for in terms of you know borrowing EV spreads, you know, it, there's not really a copyright on borrowing teams or EV spreads for that matter. But, you know, usually I like seeing when people acknowledge this used to be so-and-so person's EV spread and I use it on this team. And I also like the fact how borrowing definitely something very useful to do. You know, I just want a good EV spread to use this Pokemon and I don't necessarily want to go 252, 252. You can kind of read in reports why they're using certain spreads they do, you know, their custom EV spreads. And once you see... Once you see how the, that uh, spread works on certain teams or even on an individual Pokemon, you can develop uh, skills on your own. Um, once you develop these skills, you'll be able to start building your own teams, building your own spreads, and you can start ending up having that unique either spread or Pokemon on a team that takes you farther into a tournament.
1: I think it's also really important to learn from articles where, you know, you, you would learn the big benchmarks. Uh, a, a lot in this metagame, we see powerful Z moves like Garchomp's Tectonic Rage or Tapu Lele's Psychic Z, or mm-hmm. maybe you wanted one of your Tapus to live a Poison Jab from Muck. And so, uh, and I guess another big one would be like Flare Bliss from Arcanine. But, you know, these are just all popular benchmarks that you want to be able to survive. And these are moves that you're going to see a lot and you will learn what these are if you haven't been, if you're not able to figure it out yourself and get a starting point just from playing it like on the ladder in VGC, uh, looking at articles and then looking at the damage calcs that they post with their EV spreads and such, you can get an idea of uh, what to look for in your own. You know, if you're running a fairy type and maybe you want to live a poison jab from muck or something like that, you know, these are just benchmarks. So uh, I think benchmarks are something uh, that you can definitely learn from reading a report. And that's an important thing to know.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, One example that I can think of that's especially relevant on um, Arcanine right now um, in regards to benchmarks is um, Flurry Blitz plus Extreme Speed knocking out Tapu Koko. I think that's a very, very common benchmark right now. I don't know how good it is, um, but I I do think it's very common. I think you need like uh, 92 EVs and the boosting nature. It's either 92 or 100. Um, One of them is very close. Um, So um, keeping that in mind. Is very good as not only a starting point for EV spreads. For example, even on like when I was uh, testing with my Tapu Lele team, um, a Tapu Lele Driftbloom team, I had ran 92 Attack EVs and an adamant nature on my Arcanine, despite Tapu Lele Psychic, uh, despite Tapu Lele Psychic terrain uh, blocking my own extreme speed for my Arcanine. <laughs> so um, again, this is this is just an example of um, things that you can do to test. Um, another thing that I want to mention with EV spreads is um, comfortability. I think that's very important. If you are at... Front, oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this one I can speak from personal experience for. Um, last year in VGC 16, I used a Mega Salamence that would knock out a uh, posing Primal Groudon in three hits with um, Hyper Voice that were trained to survive opposing uh, posing timid Primal Groudon's earth power. Saying that aloud all at once makes it sound kind of complicated. <laughs> but it actually um, was very useful in uh, a multiple, in multitude of different situations. Um, that Mega Salamence spread that I ran, um, I used it on a Dual Primals team. I used it on my Nationals team. I used it on my Worlds team. Um, the familiarity that I had with that spread was extremely important. For example, I knew exactly, I knew, I knew my probabilities for a Hyper Voice plus a um, geomancy boosted Moonblast from xerneas to knock out a primal groudon from various amounts of bulk um i knew uh, I, I again a multiple a multitude of different things with um just my Salamence, and like because i was so experienced with it um so i think that is um something that is important um we were just talking yeah. about how ev spreads are can be tailored to an individual team but uh, ev spreads can also be tailored to an individual player in my opinion Um, A spread that you're comfortable with can go a long ways.
1: I'm really happy you brought up that subject because it's something that I think a lot of people need to realize is that, uh, like you had mentioned with your Salamence, you had played so much with it where you didn't even need to do damage calc so much with it anymore uh, when you were practicing. And, you know, just because of that level of comfortability, it means that you're spending less time thinking About what your move is going to be when you're actually in the game. You're thinking, like, all right, I know exactly how much my Salamis' Hyper Voice is going to do to this Groudon or whatever the target may be. And so, uh, because of that comfortability, you don't have to play any, you don't have to have any more guessing games. You know, you, uh, since you're so comfortable with how you're, well, you're going to take hits and deal damage. um, That's like one of the big, uh, big, uh, like, pros of practicing a lot with the team is just being comfortable with how much damage everything's going to do. I see like a lot of people, uh, who talk about, you know, I made this team the day before the event or I made this wall in line. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, then as long as you're using, e- I guess if you're using EV spreads that you're familiar with, then I guess it still works out because you're at least comfortable with those damage calcs. And so I think that's like a big part of it is, uh, if you're going to borrow an EV spread, uh, borrow one that you've played with a lot so that, uh, in the middle of the match, you're not, you know, guessing how much damage it's going to be doing.
2: Definitely agree with that. Um, I think, um, maybe another historical example that I can provide in uh, regards to Eevee spreads was something that yeah, you brought up earlier in speed. Um, speed is by far the most important thing to Eevee in VGC um, for like a, a billion reasons. But like the, the biggest three are um, one, if you are attacking before your opponent, that means you have more opportunities to um, get hacks and you have less opportunities to get hacked. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember who said it, but um, you have a zero percent chance to flinch from Rock Slide if you move from before your opponent, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's important to know. It, yeah, like, it's it true. really
1: stresses the importance of speed tiers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In addition to that, speed control is especially important. Um, so, like right now, I'd say in 17 we have like Tailwind from Driftblum and Mandibuzz, and we have Trick Room from Porygon Two, and like. A couple other little setters but like as far as other speed control we have what like icy wind from nine tails bulldoze from random mons like what else do we have
1: yeah that's a a pretty good summary of it because you don't you don't see a whole lot of like thunder wave anymore and uh with the nerf of it it also changes the way things work where it almost just kind of works similarly to tailwind with a double or a half in speed uh depending on your reference point so um yeah not, not a whole lot of speed control but it's important to know uh I guess one that uh, we didn't mention yet, and it's a technical form of speed control, is the Choice Scarf.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a form of speed control. Um, that would I, would, I would classify under the, um, what I would call Inherent Speed. Uh, not necessarily Inherent Speed, because it is an item. Um, but I think Inherent Speed is one of the more important things to think about in this format. Um, and that's because each Pokemon's speed tier is relatively well-defined, Um as far as I'm aware, like you're usually running anywhere from you have a, like a standard set, um, and then you have like the um, expect you have a standard set, then you have what you could expect your opponent to have, and then you'd have like whoa, that's like way out there. Um, I think one example of this is maybe Garchomp. Um, so Garchomp, I would say, tends to run Jolly um, with max speed, um, but other Garchomp, I would not be surprised to see Adamant with um, just uh, like enough out. Speed to outspeed, say, Modest Tapu Lele. Um, I think that's very reasonable. Um, and then you have Garchomp-like Shomas that had 36 EVs with the Adamant Nature, which were extremely slow. Um, so what he did there was he utilized his speed control um, with his Drifblim's Tailwind in order to um, free up EVs for offense and for bulk on his Garchomp. And that certainly came into play. Like, his Garchomp lived a bunch of moves that it probably shouldn't live.
1: <laughs> it did this. He did the same exact thing with his Tapu Lele, too.
2: Yeah, exactly. He did a a similar thing with a lot of his... um, Did he... I can't remember. Did he run max HP on his Kangaskhan in 2015 on his world's winning team?
1: Uh, I'm not familiar with the AB spreads on that one, yeah. I believe
2: believe he ran a bulky Kangaskhan, but someone in the comments section can fact-check me on that. I know he ran a lot of 252, 252 spreads there, (laughs) Um, so... You can he also... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. It was funny, too, because it just, it just like happened to work out that way with um, the, st- the goals he wanted. Um, I think that's another interesting thing to point out. Um, the goals that Shoma had, which was, um, I believe he used 4-speed 252, which outsped Landorus by either a point or a couple points, and then he had the rest max HP, max defense. And like it did a very specific thing. And it looked like so basic, uh, but it was really well thought out. Um, in a similar vein, I know that um, Seijin in 2014 on his Pachirisu ran max HP, max defense. Um, and he did that so he could increase the chances of surviving his Gyarados's, um, I believe plus one earthquake. It might have just mm-hmm. been regular. I-, I think it was that. Um, so like these EV spreads that, um, may look like they're really, really basic on paper, um, can actually have a lot of complex functions. Um, but going back to speed, um, I think, again, s- speed is I- incredibly important. Um, and one of the useful resources that Trainer Tower has is um the speed tiers the speed tiers are incredibly important um you can yes. see what a, a Pokemon's speed is at um certain speed intervals for example um if i look at the speed tiers i can see that a garchomp uh that has a boosting nature and is trained with uh 252 evs in speed will always hit a 169 stat i'm right on that right because i'm not actually looking at the speed. yes that is right <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty yes. sure it's 169 um so, I know that if I want to EV Pokemon to be faster than that Garchomp, I need to be at least a 170 speed stat. However, I don't care about if I'm 171 or not. Um, the 170 is good enough. Um, I think there are other relevant threats around that speed tier. I'm not really sure what you'd want to cut back for. But I know like a Nile lot of Lego. players... Yeah, Nile... exactly. Nihilego, Kartana, and Ninetales are up there. I know a lot of players run um, 179 speed on some of their... Um, I don't want to say bulky fast Pokemon, but I know, like, um, I think Ray's Specs Tapu Coco hit 179 speed. Uh, and that's because mm-hmm. it just outspeeds the, um, the Gengar and the base 109s and everything below it. Um, and by cutting back enough EVs to just outspeed those certain threats, he was able to free up EVs for other stats. Um, another thing that, about EVs, um, being able to mix and match, not mix and match, but um, mix them around um, in speed is um, being able to avoid speed ties. I think this yeah. is really, really important.
1: The famous term, speed creeping.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so in a really good example of this is... Um, well, I guess Arcanine's not a very good example. The traditional example I like to use is 2014 Rotom Wash, where it started off with like four speed EVs, and like at the end of the season, we had people running like 84 speed EVs. <laughs> <laughs> like a huge jump. Like, do you know anyone who was running that fast? I, I, I
1: think another good one is uh, pretty much through all of its years uh, in Gen 6 is Aegislash. You know, we saw people yeah. do all kinds of things with that, but uh, like with the substitute one, it was optimal to just keep subbing in front of them until they chickened out and king shielded. And so, being the faster Slash, you would win that war of chicken. And uh, I think that was a really fun one. There are definitely a lot of examples throughout Pokemon, uh, whether it's more optimal to be fast or slow and speed creeping in either direction, but. Uh, speed creeping is a really cool topic in general. Just, you know, can you forfeit a little bit, uh, like forfeit away EVs in offense or bulk to just put a little bit more in speed so that you can outspeed the opponent's Pokemon? And it's a really fun topic.
2: It certainly is. Um, one example of this that I used on my 2016 Nationals team, I don't mean to keep bringing uh, my 2016 season up, but um, I do think <laughs> this is probably um, a, a good way to uh, look at his- historical examples of EV spread since 2017 is still. Relatively underdeveloped. Um, we're only halfway through the season. Um, so my Groudon, um, if you look at the um, the nature on Pokemon.com, you'll see it has Brave. So my team wa- had a Bronzong on it, so you just assume perhaps that uh, Leonard ran a Groudon with min-speed uh, 0 IVs. However, that would be- not be true. In fact, my Groudon was EV to underspeed the Kyogre that, outspe- that outsped Salamence and Tailwind by one point. What that meant was, okay. I could more reliably attack with my Groudon against, um, speed, flo- uh, ceiling floor, uh, teams with Kyogre, um, dual primal Kyogre with Salamence being a, a good example of that. Um, and also, um, by knowing my Groudon's, uh, speed tier, that meant I kn- knew whether or not I wanted to attack the opposing Groudon in or out of Trick Room. It also meant I avoided speed ties, um, which is always really nice. Um, sometimes you can look at a situation and say, ah, oh, yeah, well, I wish I had, um, minimum speed here, so I would have had that chance to get that, um, tie. However, um, I look at it in the opposite way. I can say, well, now I have this opportunity to undo my own trick room or, um, do, a, um, some adjustment in best of three play. Um, this is especially notable in best of three play, um, where I know, hey, if I'm going to be attacking their grout on with my grout on, I know what order, um, this is going to happen in. And that could be very significant, um, when the opponent might just, um, Assume just like, oh, okay, I'm always going to be locked into this uh, certain position. Uh, I don't have any flexibility. Um, One of the things that EV spreads can do um, is create that flexibility. And manipulating the stats points you have so you can make um, safer plays or make plays more confident in. Um, For example, um, my Groudon was also EV trained in order to survive a Timid Groudon's Earth Power. It actually had a little more bulk than that for Xerneas reasons, but um, that was one Mm -hmm. of its main Mm -hmm. benchmarks. So one of the things I could very confidently do was press blades in front of any opposing Groudon because I could take any one attack. Um, sometimes you could see that pay off directly in practice where an opponent earth powers me and I press blades them back in the the one-on-one situation. Um, that's yes, always I really see, I see Yeah, that's really fun. Um, but in practice, in tournament play, um, it tended to be uh, more along the lines of oh, wow, I know I can do this, so my play becomes so much safer now that I know this fact with certainty. Um, Eevee spreads help a lot in that certainty. Um, They allow you to play safe. By safe, I don't necessarily mean defensively. You can make a safe offensive play. For example, you can um, very commonly Eevee a set of Pokemon's combination attacks to KO some certain target. Um, That's a very common thing to do. Um, So I think it's very um, relevant to consider EV optimization, not only for the defensive spectrum, but for also considering um, how it can affect your plays in the middle of a match.
1: So something I wanted to ask you about, and uh, it can be a bit confusing. uh, Like you you mentioned, you had this Groudon that had a brave nature, which, you know, subtracts speed, but you weren't running the slowest possible Groudon. Sometimes that's the most efficient way to do things is you want to Uh, use a nature that boosts, you know, typically your biggest stat. That's, I I know that is typically the best way to go unless you really are hitting a benchmark, uh, because that way, uh, with the nature's multiplier, that 1.1 or a plus an extra 10% is getting the most for you, I guess, for your, uh, not money, but for your Eevees, I guess, for stats. (laughs) You're getting the most stat points possible. And so that's why it's important with like a Pokemon like Groudon to run a increasing attack nature because its attack stat was so high. And if you ran, a increasing attack nature, you got so many more stats for it. Whereas, uh, we saw at world, someone did make it into the top cut with a serious grout on. And a lot of people were like kind of looking at that a little bit strangely. Like, why would you run a neutral nature that doesn't increase or decrease anything? And, um, and it turns out that you could make essentially that same EV spread, I believe with a, I think it was a brave nature or something like that. And
2: yeah, it was one of those natures.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And you could still get more points than that. Uh, I think it's also important when you are creating EV spreads. Uh, I found this myself. Uh, I learned it either from someone like you or maybe from like Randy Qua when I was reading like an article. Uh, is uh, when you're like done, maybe maybe you're investing some bulk into one defensive stat and you're also investing into another defensive stat to survive a two different goals on each side of the spectrum. However, you should. Uh, Kind of like look at the number that you end up at it. Let's say you had a defense stat of one hundred and forty, and then your uh, special defense stat was like one hundred and thirty. Uh, sometimes you can switch around the natures and then switch around the evs, and you end up getting a point or two more. Yep. And uh, I don't know exactly what that concept would be called, but I just it's something to keep in mind, I guess.
2: Yep, it's some, it's very similar to the uh, nature optimization technique. Um, in general, you want to boost your highest stat, um, mm-hmm. and that um, you can think of that more generally as um, your base stat, um, like the actual base stat, but you can also look at it specifically as in the actual stat of your Pokemon after you encountered your um, goals that you are searching for.
1: Okay. It's also uh, funny how Pokemon likes to refer to Eevees as base stats, but yeah, we refer so to them confusing. as effort values, and we have our own fan-made term for base stats, which is like Garchomp's 102 speed is its speed-based stat. However... Uh, it can be a bit confusing when you're like you know, interacting with something written by Pokemon or uh, something in the game when they refer to like, oh, this is how you can raise your Pokemon's base stats. And as a, from a fan perspective, it can be really confusing.
2: Mm-hmm. I think one thing that you brought up, though, um, which is um, investing on different sides of the spectrum, um, I think that's something that can be um, rather challenging to do uh, when you're first learning how to create EV spreads. Um, for example, um, let's say you have a Garchomp, and you are content with running an adamant nature on it. Say you're on a um, Lele Bloom team um, because you have Tailwind. Um, let's say, however, that you still want enough speed to outspeed opposing Tapu Lele um, to help in the mirror. Um, and let's say you want enough bulk in order to be able to survive opposing Garchomp Jolly Tectonic Rage. Let's say you also want enough bulk to be able to survive a Porygon 2 who got a download attack boost instead of a uh, download special attack boost. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. One popular um, way to create such an EV spread is to just start investing in HP first, um, because HP will help Garchomp survive attacks on both sides of the spectrum. So if you invest in HP all the way, um, up to that point where you can survive both attacks, you'll end up with 108 HP EVs. Um, that's not too many. Um, you're still taking out um, quite a bit from speed and attack, um, in my opinion, but it's not terribly unreasonable. However, um, you could actually survive it with a combination of investing in both defenses and in HP. Um, A spread of 52 HP, 4 defense, and I believe it's 36 special defense. Um, I I run this Garchomp spread, so I should know that off the top of my head. Um, (laughs) But um, that uh, combination of uh, EVs will also survive the uh, Jolly Tectonic Rage and Ice Beam um, while using less EVs. Um, this is especially important because you want as many EVs for attack and speed. Um, let's say uh, we have another example. Um, say you wanted your Snorlax, um, say it's a Cursed Lax, and you want to be able to survive a um, Tapu Lele's Z-Psychic. Um, and You also want Psychic to generally do um, around under half, um, so you can more reliably, um, say, recycle versus it. Um, if you try investing in HP first on Starlax, you're not going to get anywhere fast. Um, in fact, if you invest fully in HP, um, you're actually not going to be able to survive the um, Tapu Lele's Z-Psychic 100% of the time. I believe it's seven-eighths. Um, I did my uh, calculations before the podcast, so you'll have to forgive oh, me if no my worries. numbers are off. But yeah. Um, however, if you switch to a spread that invests more heavily in special defense, um, in particular 4 HP and 148 special defense, you actually live that um, Z Psychic 100% of the time. Um, that's only 152 EVs
1: for a great deal less EVs.
2: That's 100 less EVs, which is a significant. This is this is significant um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, because it would let you invest more in attack. However, let's just say that we wanted to just invest all of our 252 EVs in uh, Snorlax because why not? Um, if we just did our 4 HP, 148 Special Defense, then we're left with still a bunch of leftover EVs so how can we find the best EV spread well da we've got survival calc for that <laughs> there we go that that'll be a nice segue into that so survival calc um, is uh, honestly uh, completely broken when <laughs> creating EV spreads like if you want like an s like if you want like the rankings for like creating spreads like survival calc is like the grout on of creating EV spreads it's like the Garchomp. It's like the Arcanine. It's like the Zygarde, if you play doubles OU. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man,
1: Zygarde. The new yeah, form, Z- right?
2: Yeah. Well, um, the new form actually got uh, Quick Band really early oh, on. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, But um, Thousand Arrows, you can't switch it on Thousand Arrows, so it's really broken. Anyway, um, Survival Calc, what that allows you to do is you just plug in the information that you have with your goals. Um, for example, say I wanted my, my Snorlax to live that Z-Psychic, um, and then I had 256 available EVs because I had 252, 256 EVs left over after investing my 252 attack EVs. I just plug all that information in the survival calc, and it gives me a spread. Um, and it takes less than 30 seconds to type things in. Um, it's honestly like the the best thing ever <laughs> because yeah. because there are it used to be that I created all of my complex spreads by hand. Um, so like I had an old article on uh, Nugget Bridge called um, EVing, uh Perfect Achieving Perfection," uh, with like the EVB capitalized for. Uh, yeah, pun. yeah, I
1: remember reading that one back then.
2: And so I went over like um, some intricacies of uh, creating a complex spread um, by hand. Um, this was also when I think this was before Nugget Bridge acquired the Damage Calculator, so that was really fun because we used the Pokemon Showdowns, um, which back then was not very good. Um, yes, yeah. Um, so, the fact that we were uh, we were just able now to find, like, efficient spreads with just a couple clicks of a button is, like, really amazing.
1: Survival Calc is a really cool tool. I remember using it back in 2015, like, for my first time, and then uh, I've used it in formats since then. It's a really awesome tool to, like you said, do all the work for you. And sometimes I'm sitting there in the Damage Calc creating like the regular damage calc, uh, creating an EV spread. And I remember, like, oh, I don't even have to do all this work. Like, I can go to survival calc. It'll tell me the most efficient way to do it. And it's that easy. It's really quick, and it's a very intuitive site. I have uh, yet to try it out for this format, because I it did come out somewhat recently, I believe. Uh, how long ago did it come out?
2: Um, I believe we launched it two weeks ago, question mark? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. back in Mar- back in March, um, I think it was the last week of March.
1: Okay. Yeah, and so uh, it's relatively new to the VGC twenty seventeen format, or I guess just the Gen Seven, uh, formats or uh, Gen Seven battle system. But it's a very useful tool that you should be using for pretty much every format, whether it's VGC or anything else uh, that you play in, because it can find you the best and uh, simple... It's- simplest EV spreads, uh, and it really saves you a lot of time. It's a really cool tool that I I think it's not even best to explain it. It's just something you can go try out yourself, you know, if you know what kind of attacks you want to live. Tabu Coco Thunderbolt, Tabu Lele Psychic, Garchomps, uh Tectonic Rage or something, or an earthquake. It's all really simple. You just plug it right in there, plug in the Pokemon that you want to survive stuff, and it's uh just yeah, a couple of clicks.
2: Yeah myriad of options as well you can survive combination attacks you can survive um, exit kos uh, we're working on implementation of surviving attacks with super citrus berries um, there's a bit more math involved so we have to code up the logic behind it um, mm-hmm. but there's uh, you you can do a, a shorthand version um, by uh, doing some fancy things but it's 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 not efficient at the moment uh, it'll just give you like rough estimates um, so but yeah it's it's intuitive. Like you guys should definitely check it out. Um, yeah, Stephen, uh, this is a question that I wanted to ask you. Have you ever heard of X calculator? Calculator? Do you remember from that from back in the day?
0: No, I. That doesn't sound familiar either. Okay,
2: so X Calculator was a very similar um, tool that was used back in like I think 2011 or so, um, maybe even before then. Uh, so I wasn't I wasn't sure if you had uh, if you were familiar with it. Um, I'm barely familiar with it. Uh, but I know, like, um, I think you can probably provide a little bit um, better examples of, like, how far EV spreads have come since when you started playing. Um, because back in the day, everyone just used 252, 252, right?
0: That, that is actually very true. When you look at some of the really older formats, uh, you know, people just went with basically what we started in the beginning of the show talking about you have either max speed, max attack, or max uh, HP and max uh, maxing out your whatever attack that you're using. And that was, you know, very just, that was the very common thing to do in, uh, some of the earlier formats. And then I am not sure if it ever came up earlier. And I'm sure it did, but the first time, you know, I'd ever really realized, oh, we could make custom, customizable EV spreads was after Ray had won 2011 Worlds and then, you know, shared his team report and how his EVs affected his team and what they did for each of those Pokemon. That was one of the first times I realized that, and then I was able to start making my own custom EV spreads after that season for 2012. But uh, just to think about it, just thinking about uh just effort values themselves throughout VGC's history is that they've gone through a lot of changes well from the very simple 252 spreads in the beginning to where we are now, where you have uh EV optimization, you have this great survival calculator, which... I do want to just point out here how, um, you know, usually before before you get something like this, you'd have to have several tabs open with uh, different um, attacks running on your same EV spread as you tweak it, and I always found that really tedious and annoying, and this just sounds perfect for, you know, your own personal time in terms of being efficient.
2: Yeah, I remember one time it took me um, three hours to create one spread, and then... <laughs> I just oh I, I remember um this was back when um survival calc was not fully automated, so I, I didn't know how to use it. So I was really em- I was really embarrassed to ask stats. Uh we were we were uh, really close friends at the time, but I was really embarrassed to ask him. So I did a three hour spread and then later I um just plugged it into Survival Calc and it gave me the same thing and I felt pretty mad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh you had to, you probably had to feel pretty proud for getting it too, you know, at least oh, yeah, figuring I'll, out I'll free- what the what the calculator would have spit out as the most optimal spread as well. Yeah, I helped with the logic, so yay. <laughs> I think that uh, survival calc and, you know, just in general, like what we been talking about, EV optimization, and you know, investing on both sides of defenses, because that's uh, mostly what survival calc is for, is, uh, it, as the name suggests, surviving attacks. Uh, at least for me, has been like trick room setters. You know, like you need a trick room setter to survive these big attacks, because sometimes when people don't have the right tools to get rid of the trick room, or if you have like a mental herb to get past a taunt, they're going to look to just kind of blow through that Pokemon. And so you want to figure out, you know, what are my physical defensive goals? What is going to be taking out like my Oranguru if we're looking at this format, or what is uh, going to be taking out my Oranguru on the special side? And so, uh, I think that's really like important to look at, uh, it's just like trick room setters. And in general, I guess the bulky Pokemon that you run on the trick room team, um, yeah, I think that's a uh important part of uh the survival calc is uh making sure it can allow you to do these things to ensure like you get up trick room, or if you are doing the same thing for a non trick room team, like a tailwind team, you can make sure that like your drift limb will survive an attack before it gets up or to get up tailwind or get up to a second tailwind or something like that. So it's really cool that the survival calc allows you to do these things.
2: Yeah. I think a classic example of what you were talking about with uh Trick Room setters is um Porygon two surviving, um Goldux, um Z Hydro Pump plus a Pelper Scald in Rain. Um, in fact, that was so popular on Porygon 2 that it actually forced out Brine from T-Man at, at Melbourne. I loved uh, that attack. That yeah, was so it cool. Was, I, know, I, always, I also thought it was amazing, too. Like, Porygon 2, there's no way, even if you invest all the way in um, HP and special defense, can you survive that combination attack. Um, so it was really, really clever by him um, figuring out how to do that. Um, and I think that uh, going forward... Uh, Porygon two players need to look into some new EV spreads because I know people are still running double ducks, and you're not going to be living that anymore.
1: Yeah, and there's also people probably still running that EV spread, <laughs> yep. that old one that survives the double ducks, the scald version, that is.
2: I remember when I was going over a uh, team for a player in Oregon. Um, we were discussing. Um, he had a Gigleth on his team. And so um, we weren't even worried about rain at all because you just leave Gigalith and, well, that that gets rid of the rain. So <laughs> you don't need EVs to survive that. Um, but we were talking about his Natcha versus Kartana. It wasn't very good. Um, so one of the things we decided to do with his Porygon 2 was actually EV it so it could survive a Sacred Sword, um, one turn of sand, and another Sacred Sword. Um, and this was especially relevant because um, it would often be the case um, where his Porygon 2 would not be in a position to um, just... Uh, safely uh, set up trick room or whatever. Um, it ended up being uh, um, some situation where this was a relevant goal. Um, I'm trying to think of the what it was exactly. Uh, but for the uh, sake of simplicity, we'll just say that it was an actual goal he had. Um, so that was one of the things that we went through with Survival Calc. I'm just like, okay, um, so, we want to survive this attack with sand. Boom, have 94% HP remaining. Then, we want to survive two of these sacred swords. Boom, give me the spread. I bet it gave me the spread. And I'm just like, here you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it it's it really just cool simple that as it that. can allow you to do those things.
2: Yeah.
0: So, we have, we've, we've talked about effort values for quite a while here and uh, this excellent tool in the survival calculator, which you can check out online. Uh, Google. You can Google it, uh, you know, survival calculator for VGC. You can find it or... through Trainer Tower. Find it through Trainer Tower, which is also another great way to do that. But, um, you know, I always, I feel like I say this all the time, but effort values are always one of those great, you know, hidden ways you can always customize your own Pokemon. And I feel like even the, a lot of teams could potentially have the same six Pokemon and be very different, not only in movesets and items, but uh, the EVs can make a big difference. Uh, I think one of the biggest examples. In the past would be, you know, just big six mirrors from last season. Again, effort values are very important. You should definitely uh, learn how to use these, learn how to create your own EV spreads, because I think it's a very powerful skill and useful skill to have in competitive Pokemon. But do you guys have any closing thoughts on effort values before you move on? Because we need to move on to uh, some of these, some of the Pokemon stats from the last few months.
2: Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. Uh, we can potentially talk about um, EV spreads we've seen, maybe on some of these new Pokemon.
0: Okay, so we have stats from TrainerTower.com that uh, really just take into account tournaments from March and March and uh, February, so February and March rather. And you can take a look at these stats online as well. Just find them on TrainerTower.com. It should be on the front page at the moment, but otherwise it'll be archived under in uh, April. So. When you guys take a look at this, you see, you know, top Pokemon by usage, and then you also have uh, cores and, you know, some descriptions of some of the Pokemon and how to deal with them. So I really like how Trainer Tower is doing this for, you know, just the competitive scene in general. And in terms of the usage statistics you've been seeing for, uh, you know, this article and just at this time in the metagame, are you guys surprised at all by anything? Are you kind of expecting... Did you kind of expect, you know, Pokemon that rose in usage and de- decreased in usage? Um, anything else that stands out to you?
2: So I think the biggest um, jump is probably... I mean, I, I think it wasn't officially the biggest jump. but The biggest jump that I notice is Driftblem, um Going from non-existent to now being on apparently 10% of teams. Um, that's a huge jump, and I only expect it to rise from there. Um, I think because Lele Drift. Is that a joke? Just, what? What are you talking about? You Lele said- Drifplum is...
1: No, no, no. The joke is that you only expect it to rise from there.
2: Oh, that—that is—it <laughs> uh, would have been—it
0: so, would have been so much better if you just didn't point it out. I feel like jokes uh, run better that way.
2: <laughs> all right, fine. I'm fine. sorry. Alex is much better at getting puns than I am. Oh,
1: that's true. That's true. We did have some jokes that we were talking about the other day. But anyway, back to <laughs> the t- the subject of Driftlim and Lele.
2: Yeah, recently winning a regional, I think, um, solidifies it's all. I mean, it won an international. Um, but I think that just puts the icing on the cake really um i think driplum should be shooting up in usage um pretty soon here i think teams really need to figure out a way to deal with this thing um i saw one way though i thought was really clever was um some players um putting wild charge on their tapu coco to get around the um special defense boost that driplum gets um it, i'm pretty sure it doesn't knock out even with the um with the terrain um Sorry, I I don't think it knocks out with uh, Psychic Terrain, but if you can get in position where um, it's advantageous or perhaps a wild charge plus a combination attack um, will knock out the Driflim. I think that's a a really clever way of uh, dealing with Driflim, and I I, I don't think it's going to be the only way. I I think that we're going to have to see something else to stop this rampage of Driflim that are showing up everywhere.
1: Yeah, I know. I feel like uh, we've talked about this before on the show, but uh, people just weren't respecting that core enough, and after it winning three events, I think people are starting to realize, and uh, now seeing the usage stats, Drupalim at about 10%, uh, is just the the wake-up call for people like, okay, this is actually a really strong duo uh, and a really strong core if you end up including the uh, other common Pokemon like Garchomp or whoever else you end up seeing on that team, and it's just, uh, it's something that people are going to, have to start realizing they have to prepare for when they're building a team. You know, a lot of people think of individual uh, Pokemon, like, I need to stop Garchomp, Tapu Koko, Arcanine, because they're all, like, the very common Pokemon. However, this duo in Tapu Lele and Driftblim can be really devastating. So, uh, especially, like, that version that uh, Aaron ran at uh, regionals where he had the taunt on Tapu Lele to prevent Trick Room, because that was kind of people's go-to... Uh, reaction was, well, if they're going to set up Tailwind, obviously Trick Room deals really well with Tailwind flip the speed tiers on them. However, uh, if you are using the most common Trick Room setter, Porygon 2, it's going to be harder because Porygon 2 usually can't get past a taunt. And so um, people are going to have to get more creative with their answers to this. It's just, uh, it covers a lot of options. Obviously, uh, Drift Blim typically has uh, Will-O-Wisp, to kind of neuter the physical attackers that try to take it down. And then the special attackers are going to have to get its plus one special defense from the psychic seed. So uh, it can end up being a really annoying combo. And uh, I think people are still looking for the best way to beat it.
2: Well, uh, perhaps as a tangent, what's the most interesting fourth move that you guys have seen on Driftblum? I've seen um, Hypnosis from Seijin. And then yes, we've all. Also- yeah. And then we also have, like, I know, Sunny Day, because what you can do is you can, like, Sunny Day to meme on uh, Ninetales trying to use Aurora Veil And the ducks. Yeah, and the ducks, too. That's Because you can
1: outspeed Golduck if you uh, invest it uh, correctly. Um, That's something else kind of related to Eevee spreads. And I did want to mention earlier, uh, like, Shoma's Eevee spread for his drift was really interesting, because he was running, like, timid, basically max speed. Yeah, he was Uh, really fast. Uh, and I don't know if that's always necessary, but it's just something uh, interesting to consider. And he was running really offensively, and so it just really shows you what you can uh, do, like with different goals for uh, Pokemon, you know, investing them in ways that you never thought before. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we were talking about interesting moves on uh, Driftlim, and I think we've seen you mentioned Sunny Day, but we've also seen uh, I think Rain Dance do well at some tournament. Um, mm-hmm. That was Shoma's, I was, believe. I think it was, was Shoma's Rain Dance. Right? Okay, because yeah, yeah, he had Gyarados think... on his team. Exactly, yeah, and it kind of synergizes well with his uh, water types, while also uh, annoying uh, Gigalith with its special defense boost. Ninetales still can't set up the Aurora Veil, and um, depending on how fast the Driflum is, uh, maybe his goal was to uh, take down Lilligant Torkoal by setting up the rain before Lilligant could go for an after you uh, plus eruption.
2: I'm all for everything that beats Lilligant.
1: Yes, yeah. (laughs) I don't think anybody (laughs) likes facing that... uh, because while I won't uh, discredit the strength of that team, uh, a lot of it comes down to coin toss plays. And, I mean, if you're good at coin toss plays and hitting your sleep powders, go for it. All the power to you. But, you know, uh, I like to play
2: a little bit more consistently, I guess. How about you, Steven? What's your most bizarre Driftbloom move?
0: Uh, I mean, I wouldn't really call it bizarre, but you guys have kind of covered already some of those weather-changing ones. Uh. You know, played against some of them. Didn't really expect the weather to change on me so quickly. So those caught me off guard. And just trying to think if I have played anything else, else that was weird. But it's a weather balloon. I'll give ball. you a
1: second to think, Steven, because I, I mean, it, it, I mean, is it is a weather, is a weather balloon.
0: balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm just going to go with that.
1: Weather balloon joke. Okay. Well, uh, I wanted to say, because uh, I didn't actually mention a move other that was very different from uh, Leonard's answer. But uh, I have seen limbs run either stockpile or minimize oh, no. plus a ton plus baton pass and you know sometimes these drift limb lele teams since it's becoming a more common core and you're seeing the different ways that people are running it uh you see them with a snorlax because uh, like we had mentioned trick room can be a bit of an issue for the team however if you have a drift limb baton pass a stockpile or minimize to a snorlax and trick room is now up you know you're in for a bad bad time and uh, I faced something uh, somewhat similar uh, at this uh, midseason last week, and the team was really interesting. Is uh, that drift Limb was with uh, Tabuffini, and it had Swagger, but it also had Minimize, and there was a Psych Up Porygon 2 to Psych Up the swagger, swagger boosts if it went onto something, or That's if it evil. Psyched Up the Minimize boosts. And, you know, if a, if a Porygon 2 has evasion boosts it's gonna be really really hard to get rid of so you're gonna have a bad uh, time <laughs> yeah uh that was a very scary one to face and um yeah driflim it, it does have a very deep move pool with uh, lots of interesting moves it can run um and then one of the worst options i would say but you know people did start to run it at the very beginning of its popularity was like acrobatics i think people are starting to realize shadow ball really is the best way to do it yeah um but acrobatics was something you
2: saw a bit earlier on too yeah, you could use it to hit Faramosa, but you can burn Faramosa and Tailwind in front of it, so it's not as necessary.
1: hmm mm-hmm. And then once your partners are outspeeding Pheromosa, you really took away its biggest advantage.
0: Yeah, I think people with acrobatics in the beginning were probably just lured by the that uh, great trait of losing your item right away, so that was probably the trap they fell into early on.
1: You know, also, uh I saw on Twitter uh Wolf was streaming with Thief Driftlim and it took him a while to realize that once you thief an item, you lose the unburdened boost.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> so, uh that's another silly move to consider because, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it can be very nice if you end up stealing some of those super citrus berries, so uh I guess it does have a bit of merit.
0: Uh so guys, do you want to Really quickly, just mention like Arcanine's really high usage.
2: Yeah, Arcanine, I think is, um, I think it's a, maybe a bit too high. Um, I think it's really, really good because of how versatile it is, and it's because it's the only viable fire type. But I, I still think seventy-two percent is a bit too high. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see players um, perhaps adapt a little bit more and just like clamp down on the Arcanine matchup. I mean, it's it's not easy to do. Um, and Arcanine is so flexible that it fits on just about every team, Um, but yeah, I think Arcanine's popularity um, might be a little overblown, but it's still definitely a good Mon.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to see such high numbers from that, and uh, it makes me reminiscent of Groudon from last season, just as this dominant fire type. However, it does also fit characteristics from other top Pokemon, like Landorus, you know, having the Intimidate ability is just so valuable in VGC, getting a minus one attack on both your opponent's Pokemon, so... Um, I think it's justified to see Arcanine as the number one spot. And I was surprised when, uh, I saw in Spot I think Garchomp had overtaken it at some point, but in, during the season two stats that is, uh, but I think Arcanine definitely deserves the number one spot, but 72%, um, a bit high. I don't know. Uh, it's a very good Pokemon. I was a very, I'm a very big fan of using it. And, uh, like you said, you know, it just fits so well into any team. And, uh, I guess like my personal, uh, Anecdote on Arcanine is I think it's up there because, uh, without it, Kartana just kind of would run wild in this metagame. Yeah. And, you know, when you, like, look at Kartana, you just, you kind of need an Arcanine on your team because otherwise Kartana is just going to beat so many things. So if you look at the, uh, top Pokemon, Kartana does very well against a lot of them. It hits all of the Tapu's for super effective, as well as gives Trick Room Setters a hard time with its, uh, strong Sacred Sword and occasionally, occasionally an all out pummeling. It's got a lot of flexibility with the different items it can run. So uh, Kartana being such a dominant Pokemon, uh, and I think it would be a lot higher if it wasn't for Arcanine's incredibly high usage. So uh, I think that's the main justification for having an Arcanine on almost any team is that Kartana is a threat worth uh, packing an Arcanine for.
0: Right, you need it for a Kartana. Arcanine is also a flexible Pokemon. And I think just speaking defensively, as a fire type you need it for the those important resistance you know especially for fairy when you get the introduction of the fairy guardians so that's something you're going to want to have apart from having a steel type so defensively you need to have something like that intimidates always a an extremely valuable ability probably you know arguably probably the best ability in the game uh can you guys think of a better one
2: uh parental bond I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, Wonder Guard, okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't you know, know. Like, as, as far as, as, as a, like
1: VGC, yeah.
2: Yeah. Applicability, probably Intimidate is by far the best.
1: It's always been, you know, just such a threat uh, in VGC, and it's always been, you know, super relevant in every format.
2: Oh, Maybe Levitate. Levitate's also really good because it stops the ground yeah. spam. But I
0: think mm-hmm. Intimidate. Yeah, I would give, give that a second or third. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, Arcanine. When you give it, when you give it Intimidate, when it you have really good stats across the board, and you're a Fire type, which helps tremendously, especially in this format with uh, again regional decks um, and you know the stuff they've introduced the past few years for competitive Pokemon. Uh, Arcanine's up there. I think the usage is I think it's right where it should be. Like I don't think it it could be lower. People could have better answers to it, but it's it's gonna be hard to work around on the the all the various types of teams you can see it on. But, again, with the usage stats on Trainer Tower, you guys can check out this article. Um, you know, really good really good things to read, these updates. As we go through the season, they show you how the metagame's been changing. If any, uh, you know, specific Pokemon have been jumping up in usage, like we just talked about, Drift Blim. And it's really interesting to see how the metagame has been changing slowly through time and over time. But, um... Lastly, we have questions, and this is one from last time that we forgot to do because we were running long, and hopefully we'll get to cover it this time, and we're going to speak really generally here, but this is from Liquid Monk, who asks, have you guys thought of talk- tackling more controversial topics with-, with guests on the show? So, Alex, we, I believe we have thought about it, and Leonard, I think, you know, it's it wouldn't be unfair to say that we would not cover... um controversial topics it's just uh, obviously these are touchy subjects and we don't necessarily want to put people or you know certain uh, i guess ourselves in bad places either
1: yeah we don't really want to like upset anyone and obviously uh we're okay with uh, like talking about subjects that have different sides to them where you're going to have an opinion like you know steven says Conkledur wrong but you know i think uh it's uh, important that to be able to talk about them. You just got to be very careful when you're talking about controversial subjects. Uh, we're going to ignore certain subjects just because, you know, there there's like topics in VGC that we don't think are healthy for discussion, whether they've been, you know, discussed enough on Twitter where basically everybody just rants at each other back and forth and has their strong opinions or... Uh, It's a controversial subject that we think could offend people if we, uh, if either of us were to take a side on it. So, uh, I think that, um, there are controversial subjects that Stephen and I are perfectly fine with covering, but it's just, it comes down to our, like, level of comfortability with the subject. Do we think that it's a discussion that is harmless and it's more, you know, uh, about core VGC or if it's, uh, something that, you know, is beyond it that could be offensive to people, we'll probably end up avoiding it. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Leonard, you know, since you are the guest here, and this is more like a question directed at Stephen and I, what is your opinion, uh, since I know you've listened to the show at least a couple of times, uh, what would your, be your opinion on hearing uh, on the show uh, controversial subjects? Do you want to hear more of them? Are there things that we are ignoring? Or do you think that uh, the approach that I mentioned is uh, like an okay way to go about it? Or are there is there any advice you could give us?
2: I think the way that you guys are approaching it, um, which is avoiding uh, certain topics, um, is uh, pretty good. Um, one thing that I really like, um, that I particularly enjoy is listening to debates, like actual formal debates. So I think if you're going to have a um, discussion like that, um, setting it up with like planning out what you are going to be saying, um, like having well-defined ideas, um, like letting one person speak for a certain amount of time. And then letting the other person speak for another certain amount of time, um, it's very dangerous, um, and there are many um, many many s- sketchy um, areas that you can delve into. Um, I also think that's um, sometimes dangerous to perhaps have guests talk about it as well because I could say whatever I want, uh, and that could reflect badly on you guys. And I certainly don't want to do that if I can help it.
1: And uh, secondly, I wanted to ask your opinion on the uh, the fighting type that holds the concrete pillars.
2: Um, so I use, I, sometimes I pronounce it um, Conkelder, but I, I've more recently adopted Conkelder, so... Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I used oh, to man. call it Conkelder, but um, yeah, I, I've adopted Conkelder because it, it sounds... I don't, I don't know. It sounds better. I don't care whether or not it's right.
1: <laughs> no, you can you can know. You can uh, take Steven's side on it. And I, I think that might be the one they have in the official Pokedex app if you want to go by that. But I just think, like, I've always looked at it like, oh, that's Conkle Durr. Like, he's just Durr. I'm a fighting type. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ferrar <for> <laughs> Thorn. Ferrar Thorn. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's another Fair one that wrong. has a lot of controversy <laughs> around it. Uh, I can't remember one of my other, what was my second go-to one, but um, Conkldurr is always a fun one to talk about, and I've brought it up several times on the show just because I like to mock Steven, and <laughs> that is our our controversial st- uh, topic for this episode is, you know, how do you pronounce that fighting type with concrete pillars? It's definitely Conkeldurr, but, you know, if you want to say it the wrong way, if you want to, you know, do it that way, Go ahead. I don't mind Do defending those. <laughs> Do
0: it, Steven's way. Right. Yeah, I,
1: I don't mind offending you, Steven side people, because you're saying <laughs> it wrong anyway. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but you know, to uh to get back to liquid monk's question, to liquid monk's question, um yes, we've thought of we've thought about covering controversial topics. We, you know, most of the time, some of the things I see online are usually not worth it to discuss. But when something important happens that I feel like we need to talk about, like. Uh, maybe the team sheets thing or uh I'm guessing like there was some some issue with the there's an issue about gender in a certain article and just to point this out here gender does not affect the way you play in this game it does not matter at all um so did you in terms see... of that reference you
2: know oh sorry did you, did you see her uh first twitter post woman comes yeah, out of nowhere to get twitter <laughs> that was the best thing ever
1: yeah, that was pretty fun uh, at least a fun way to acknowledge that um, but yeah uh, I, I don't know do you have any more thoughts on that Stephen because we do have one other question to talk about
0: uh, I guess not I mean we'll, we'll think about we'll definitely consider controversial topics in the future but uh, you know we mostly steer away from them because I hate dealing with those but when something significant happens you can be sure we'll, we'll talk about it um, so don't count us out for that.
1: And if you have topics for us, you know, feel free to suggest them, you know, just comment somewhere or feel free to tweet at us, email us. We, we would love to hear if you have topics that you want to uh, hear us discuss and talk about, you know, uh, if they are controversial, then like Steven and I had mentioned, we'll consider them. Um, but if it's something, you know, just general Pokemon, we would love to hear from you and answer more questions. And speaking of more questions.
0: If there's a controversy, you know, we'll dance around it. But you're right. More questions. Um. This comes from at Pat from Palette, and the question is, which non-competitive VGC mons in the 2017 format would you like to use?
2: I mean, I've got, like, so, you know, I, I play the EV team, right? And one of the mons that okay. I hate playing when I use the EV team is Mimikyu. So what you can do is you can use Pangoro, and it gets Mold Breaker, and it also gets Power Trip. So you pass the Pangoro, and you just Oko Mimikyu. Okay, okay. It, it's It sucks in every other regard, though. Uh, but in my tr- my true favorite pokemon it would be a golem because explosion in electric terrain kills Gudra, kills Gujra <laughs> and who who would not want that to happen so that's my favorite
1: you know if you want to bring a match out of this podcast leonard i'll bring my Gudra, and we'll see how this goes but <laughs> um... You got to watch out for my Bulldoze, though, because that's uh, one of the more common moves on Guja that I've at least seen. So Please, no. <laughs> I, however, uh, I guess if I were to pick one, um, it would be a Pokemon that, you know, you wouldn't think of as crazy because, you know, it's it got a buff this generation, and that's uh, Flygon. However, uh, when I saw that I got the Dragon Dance buff, and uh, I was like, all right, you know, it's legal. This could actually be pretty fun. Flygon could maybe make a name for itself this format, but it really just has not shown... Um, it doesn't have tailwind uh so like speed control for the team and it's definitely outshone by garchomp with its higher speed and higher uh offensive stats so uh flygon's been like one of my favorite pokemon uh, for a very long time and i would love to see uh it you know break uh break out a bit more and you know make a bigger name for itself uh it's something that i could definitely make work in this format but I don't know, I want to, like, spend time focusing on the, the best Pokemon, and so, uh, you know, Garchomp's probably the better bet, but, you know, uh, I was talking about this beforehand with Leonard, and you could use Double Dragon with uh, with Garchomp and Flygon, and it is an Earthquake partner, which, you know, nobody runs in this format anyway, so, whatever, maybe maybe running Double Dragon Ground is the way to go.
0: Yeah, and for mine, I'm gonna go with, uh. so again, this has to do with non-competitive Pokemon. That you know that we consider not very great, and for some reason in the beginning of the season, I was re- really looking into Tucannon. <laughs> uh, oh, mostly mostly because it has uh, so it has skill links so it can really abuse. I think it learns Rock Blast maybe and yes, Bullet Seed for yeah, sure. It does. <laughs> and it And uh, Big Blast was always just it really it, for some reason it stuck out to me, and I really wanted to see would I be able to make this work. Uh, Never got to try it because, you know, when you see a bad Pokemon, most of the time, you just theory around it a little bit and then just decide, no, this isn't good. I'm going to move on. <laughs> but yeah, I think I I feel like it had some really weird, interesting options. And I guess the better skill link Pokemon would go to Cloyster for the format. But you always had an interest in using Toucanon, mainly because of skill link. And uh Beak Blast is really intriguing. I think you have to use a turn for... To sit there, and if you get hit, they get burned or something?
1: I believe that's how it yeah, works, you yeah. you wait until the end of the turn, and then you attack. I don't think you can, like, flinch, like, focus punch, and it's not like a two-turn attack like Sky Attack. It's just, you charge up and hit at the end of the turn, if they manage to make physical contact, you get burned. Or special contact if you're using Grass Knot.
0: Yeah, and I guess, uh, I think other than that, um, like, maybe it's slightly more viable, but maybe not as viable, like... Slow King or Slowbro and Trevenant, I want to try out, but I haven't yet. Um, I think they have potential.
1: Uh, I'd like to see like if I could find a use for Bone Sweet. You know, it's got really low stats, unfortunately. Uh, back in 2015, I was messing around with a team of five standard Pokemon and Oddish. But I would actually bring... <laughs> I remember, that, I would bring you remember I'm, it?
2: <laughs> yeah, that, I remember. I used a similar thing with uh, Big B in 2016, but my B was Combi.
1: Combi, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, did you bring the Combie to matches?
2: Yeah, I beat Ezreal with it, with it using his Worlds team. Okay, okay. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I would use the uh, Oddish, and uh, since unfortunately Oddish is not legal this format, uh, I was considering Bone Sweet, but actually Oddish had all right stats within a violate. However, Bone Sweet's got some pretty poor stats, and I remember uh, when my girlfriend Gina was playing through the game using a Bone Sweet, like leveling it up was like just a super pain, and so I can't imagine it'd be any better in competitive if it can barely survive the in-game. So, uh, unfortunate for Bone Sweet since it is very cute. Um, but, you know, look forward to that maybe in the future once I uh, actually get, like, a world's invite, if I can make it there, then I'll start messing around with Bonesweet. I look forward to
0: that. Yeah, definitely no time to mess around now, but, um, I think that'll do it for the show! So, you guys can find the... Find our show on iTunes. You can leave us a review. You can download the show from there. You can also send us an email. VGC. The email is VGC at gmail.com. Send us feedback. Send us your questions. We'd be happy to answer them. Send us your controversy and we'll be also be happy to discuss that, you know, depending on the level of it. But, um, lastly, we're all on Twitter. You can follow all of us. And Leonard, first off, where can people follow you?
2: You can find me at Wobblefet. It's like D-A-W, and then just go from there and hope you get it right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or just find him in the VGC room. It's spelled the same way as that, and his name's up towards the top, so find the Wobblefet there, and you could probably find his name on Trainer Tower somewhere if you look for the uh, articles that we mentioned, uh, like Survival
2: Calc and stuff like that. Or NPA Replays. Yay! NPA. Yeah, there we go.
0: That's right. And uh, Alex, where can people follow you? People can find me at
1: Lexicon VGC,
0: and I am at Super Morioka. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we really hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you to Leonard for being on the show. We really appreciate you being on here and spending some time with us.
2: Thank you for hosting,
0: and you know, again, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next time for more. Stay tuned.
2: Alola, Alola.